that was Amanda J. Lucia, uh, who, as we mentioned before, is a professor of religious studies at University of California, Riverside. Very bright woman, very articulate. Yep. Another scholar who sheds a lot of light on contemporary spirituality mm -hmm. um, and another product of the University of Chicago um, Graduate School, which right. uh, I think several people we interviewed came from yeah, there. Yeah, they're feeding us a lot of uh, interviewees. Uh, I, I thought, you know, it was interesting. I, I thought uh, what I liked was, uh, well, first of all, she's very knowledgeable. Uh, and uh, she's unabashedly, you know, uh, somebody who has been very taken by Ama. And uh, she was not bashful or upset if asked uh, questions about Ama, even those that might uh, question her spiritual authority or or integrity or whatever. She she took all in any question and was very comfortable with it. Yeah. And that's usually not the case when you speak to uh, devotees uh, about their guru. They become very defensive and you can't ask certain things. And, uh, uh, you know, I've experienced that a lot in, in those type encounters. And uh, she was refre refreshingly not like that. I was impressed. Well, but, you know, she's a scholar. Mm -hmm. She's a scholar first. Uh, and I don't think she would uh, think of herself as a devotee or a disciple. Um, she seems obviously has a lot of respect for Alma and may get a lot out of it personally, but I don't think she would count herself uh, a, a disciple of a guru. And, you know, you, you can't be a scholar and uh, not mm -hmm. be willing to go, you know, wherever uh, your inquiry takes you. Right, exactly. And, and I do think the, the other side of it uh, is that, uh, and both of us have been around a lot of uh, followers of a lot of gurus, and it, it is scary sometimes because one, one makes a decision to turn your life over to somebody else. That, that, that's a big thing. And I would uh, actually recommend against it <laughs> that, you know, even if you <clears throat> believe very strongly in a teacher or uh, somebody might even consider a guru, uh, you're, you should still stay in charge and have the free will and make those decisions that you need to make, uh, you know, maybe following their guidance, but ultimately you have that responsibility. That, that, I, there are people that, that I respect that would argue with me on that, and, and I respect their thoughts and beliefs on it, but that, that's my feeling about it, having been around well, it, because it can be very dangerous. It can be. You know, there's a Tibetan saying that, the, you know, if... Gurus are like fire. If you stay too uh, far away, you don't get the warmth, and if you get too close, you can get burned. Um, mm -hmm. But that said, the the model of guru disciple relationship that came to us from Hinduism and Buddhism uh, primarily, um, you know, a lot of what's expected of a disciple in those contexts, or we think is expected. Uh, may come from a, a model that's appropriate in a monastic setting, right? Where you know people take vows right. and they they uh, renounce the worldly life and so forth, and um, uh, may not be quite as appropriate for people who are householders living in the world. Um, and probably most gurus would agree. And and I think every guru, whoever came here. I can't speak to India, but I'm pretty sure it would be true there, too. There are people who who become direct disciples, very close, who take vows and, and 
renounce and and take on uh, sort of that traditional uh, level of surrender to a guru. But there are many, many gurus, or, or many, many disciples of gurus, who are uh, uh, more on the periphery. Uh, but but then they're not really disciples then, are they? They're, more, they're, they're uh, devotees, and they get what they want, but they live right, their lives, right. and they come, you know, if you go to Alma, you know, there are these people who are very close to her, around right. her all the time, are completely devoted. They may have even take vows of some sort. But the vast majority... Right. You know, they may count her as their guru, but they come to see her when she's around, and they may do the practices she does, but they don't have quite the same level of surrender. They live independent lives. So right. there's, there's, there's a place on, you know, uh, for everybody. Place and on the I think for everyone. Yeah, uh, or, or sort of series of orbits, closer right. or further away from the the uh, you know intensity of a one-on-one relationship right. with a guru. I think the problem comes when people try to uh, force themselves into behaving in a certain way that's not natural to them, right. or become really dependent and and um, in an unhealthy way. Well, and also uh, a couple of things. I mean. Uh, I've heard this said that often when somebody is a guru, they attract uh, people, uh, many of, maybe a third of the people they attract are extremely creative and drawn to whatever knowledge, wisdom they have. About a third are uh, uh, people who are, you know, just average folks. And about a third of people that are maybe deeply troubled or disturbed and looking for mm-hmm. help. And you get everything in between. Now, uh, what I was going to ask you, Phil, and you are the guy to ask this to, who was the first guru to come to the United States that actually was seeking disciples or took disciples and, and started a, a movement with members uh, in, in the States. Swami Vivekananda. So when I Vivekananda was, came and he spoke... You know, 1893. You know, so yeah. he stayed and, and he actually had people uh, join For him. a few years. Mm-hmm. He was here for a few years. He, there were people very close to him. He made sir, some of them swamis. Mm-hmm. People took vows and became renunciates. Some of them, uh, there were Westerners who were with him, and his subsequent, um, the Swamis who succeeded him or, you know, carried on his work after his death uh, in India. Um, so he, yeah, he, was, he would have been the first. And, uh, but I, I don't know much about, uh, you know, the, the uh, kind of relationship they had. But he had very, you know, close devotees right. uh, in America. Right. And, and the other thing I was going to ask you, uh, from your research on American Veda, it seems like I've heard a lot of, uh, over the years, uh, teachers come along, and uh, the first thing they'll say is, I'm not a guru. But in fact, in every way, <laughs> shape, and form, they are a guru. So is that part of how a guru introduces uh, himself or herself? Uh, the same. No, I'm, I'm not a guru. I wouldn't. I, Don't follow. I wouldn't me. say that. Many, most of, the, if they, you know, the ones who came from India mm-hmm. would think of themselves as gurus. But they, then it also depends on how you define guru, because you know some people use the word loosely to mean just teacher, and some mm-hmm. people mean it, you know, in a different way. That you know, an exalted teacher, a sadguru, one who is, you know, who you turn yourself over to that person to advance on the spiritual path. But there's different kinds of relationships with gurus. And the people I've seen who say, oh, I'm not a guru, they tend to be um, uh, Westerners mm-hmm. who are teaching, you know, just would prefer to be called, thought of as teachers. 
And then you get people like Krishnamurti, famously, who you know gave up all that trappings of of you know guru or world savior, and uh, denounced the whole guru system. But people still treated him like a guru. Mm-hmm. You know, people still wanted to put him on a pedestal. So a lot of it comes from the followers and their own needs, and you know, um, very often. Mm-hmm. Uh- she uh, teaches at Amanda, uh, University of California, uh, Religious Studies. Do you know what courses she teaches? I mean, I, I think she'd be a fascinating person to teach, take a course with. Yeah, I'm sure they're all related to uh, Hinduism and uh, maybe American uh, religious movements, that sort of thing. But I'm sure anybody could uh, Google her and see what courses she teaches. Great. I'd love, I'd love to have her back on. And one of yeah. the areas I'd like to discuss with her next time is her study of immigration and religion. Because that's got to be yeah. incredibly fascinating now because the whole demographic in the United States is, is changing. People coming from India, yeah. Hindus, Buddhists, uh, you know, political leaders very f- upset and frightened by that, trying to stop certain groups from coming in and whatnot. So uh, a very interesting time in America yep. uh, for religion and spirituality uh, for many reasons. And she'd be a great one to discuss that with. Well, another, okay. another fabulous, uh, intelligent guest that uh, was fun talking to. Good. We'll, uh, we'll get all the gurus covered in one way or another over time. Absolutely. And if anybody has <laughs> any, any thoughts or suggestions for guests, don't hesitate to contact us. Until next time. Okay, Phil. Dennis. Bye. Next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.